This episode of the Bad Brain Curio Shop is dedicated to the memory of Janet Leffert. is it? Wait, what year is it? Okay, I, I'm sorry. I'm a little bit late with this Bad Brain Curio Shop, I know. Um, and I've heard from some of you, which leads me into today's shout-outs. Um, first off, I want to give a shout-out to Matt Etter of Mad Chat with Matt and Chad and the Rancor's Brothel and probably a number of other things that I haven't even yet discovered on Follow Networks at followthe.tv or followthe.tv. Make sure you go and listen to their podcast, by the way. And also to Sarah Gerald. Um, both of them have called me out publicly for not publishing a new Bad Brain Curio Shop, which proves there's at least two people listening to this show. So this show goes out to all of the people who listen to the show, but especially the ones that call me out, you know, in public and let me know that I'm loved. So I'm back, guys. The people demanded it, and I'm here. Um, additionally, I wanted to give a shout out to Adrian. Her birthday is tomorrow. Um, so everybody wish her a happy birthday. By the time this gets out, it might be tomorrow. So for reference, the date is January 13th, but happy birthday, Adrian, and I love you. Um, and, uh, no shout out for the last podcast, despite the fact that it's been months. Nobody has figured out who the quotation was from. Uh, the quotation was actually from a little-known movie by Dana Carvey called Clean Slate. Um, it kind of fell apart in the theaters. It wasn't really well-received, and then it just got lost to obscurity. If you like kind of goofy comedies, or if you like Dana Carvey's humor, if you've ever seen him do stand-up, or of course most people have seen him in Wayne's World, the movie is actually hilariously witty, and it has a kind of interesting plot idea to it. That idea being that every, ta- every time Dana Carvey, who's a private detective, goes to sleep, he has a brain injury that causes him to lose his memory. So it's kind of like Memento, but in a little bit longer form. Um, and Dana Carvey really does a good job of playing up how funny that situation can be, particularly if you're... A clever guy who's used to thinking on his feet what kind of trouble you can get into. So, since none of you got that one, I recommend you go out and rent that movie, because it's actually a pretty good movie. Um, so, a little bit of stuff of the week. I am going to start off with the word origin of the week. I recently found this out, and I found it really fascinating. The word Nimrod. Um, we commonly use Nimrod to mean, uh, it's usually a derisive term, People tend to use it to mean things like idiot or dumbass, you know, that kind of thing. What's interesting is Nimrod originally was a mighty hunter and king in the book of Genesis and the Jewish Tanakh. But the reason all of us think of Nimrod as like, hey, nice work, Nimrod, you know, that kind of thing, is because Bugs Bunny used it in a satirical fashion against Elmer Fudd. Uh, he did this in the Kill the Wabbit episode, notoriously known, because uh, that was the one where they played the Wagner, and um, Elmer Fudd played this kind of epic hunter that 
had a spear and magic helmet, etc. What's really strange is Bugs Bunny was using the term correctly in the show. He was using it sarcastically, but still correctly. He turns to Elmer Fudd at one point and he goes, nice work, Nimrod, or something to that effect, implying, hey, you know, you're a hunter, but saying hunter sarcastically, like, oh, good work, great hunter. But everybody who didn't know the reference just took it to mean idiot, because contextually it sounds like that's what he was saying. Nice work, dumbass. So now, all of us say Nimrod and don't even realize that we're actually saying good work, Hunter. So I I found that really interesting. In addition, I have a word of the week for you, and that word is airsats. Airsats is a substitution for something, usually an inferior one. So let's say you were, you know, really frustrated that this podcast hadn't come along and you went online and listened to something like, I don't know, This American Life. This American Life would be an airsats for the bad brain curio shop. It's a fun word to say, and it's just an interesting sounding word. You don't see many words with that many S-plosives in it, so I thought I'd throw that one out there. Um, So that's most of the stuff of the week that I have here. I don't have anything else for you guys. Um, This one I didn't prepare really hard for, guys. I'll I'll tip my hand to you. It's been really busy, and I have a lot of excuses for why the Bad Brain Curio Shop has been on not quite a permanent hiatus, but um, if the format seems a little bit rocky this time around, remember that I'm getting back into it and that I have been pretty busy. So, um, I'm going to move on to some personal stuff. Uh, one thing that I heard everybody doing around Thanksgiving, and I really, really liked it, um was uh, a lot of the different podcasts were doing what they are thankful for. Uh, I just wanted to jump in there with my own. Granted, a little bit late, but I think even a new year is a good time to be, you know, to be recognizing those who, you know, you're thankful for and those things that you're thankful for. Um, To start with, I just want to say, and uh, this gets a little mushy here, but, you know, bear with me. I'm just really thankful for Adrian. Um... You know, she makes me a better man in a lot of ways, and having her in my life has made me more bold and gets me to take more risks and gets me to believe that I can really do a lot of things that I think on my own I would have on some level understood that I could do but never quite had the oomph to do. And just having her in my life has improved it, if for no other reason than she occasionally nudges me off that edge and out you know, to try and spread my wings a bit. And, you know, I would just be way worse off without her. So I'm very thankful to have her in my life and to have met her. Um, I'm also very thankful for my parents, who I just recently saw over Christmas break. And it just got me to thinking about how, you know, the the values that my father and mother instilled in me as a, you know, a young person how to be polite to people, how to always have that kind of respect for people, Um, and just generally that kind of... that understanding that everybody has a perspective, and even if their perspective is different from yours, even if it's something that you don't immediately understand, there's some there there. There's something that you can dig into to sort of connect to people, and I feel like my parents really gave me that ability to understand that. So I'm thankful for them, and I'm thankful for the way that they raised me. Um, Friends, 
I have a lot of friends back uh, in Indiana, and I have a lot of friends here in Minnesota, and frankly, without them, I wouldn't be who I am. Without them, I wouldn't be probably able to withstand a lot of the stuff that I'm able to withstand. There are so many people in my life that um, have just been with me through thick and thin, family and friends alike, and just knowing that those people are staples in my life and that I have a lot of good people that I've surround, surrounded myself with just fills me with a sense of joy. So, you know, that's a good thing to go into the new year with. Um, I'm also just thankful for my talents. Um, you know, I've always been really good with computers and electronics and that has served me well in many different ways. Uh, for a long time as a hobby, but then when I began my career, I discovered that I'm really good enough at it to make some money at it, and um, I'm thankful that I have that skill. I mean, just not everybody has something that they enjoy as much as I enjoy, you know, programming, administering, or, you know, just working with technology that's also valuable to companies and to people alike. And I'm, I'm just very blessed in that sense. So I'm thankful for that as well. So this is my Thanksgiving uh, part of the podcast a few months late. Go ahead and razz me if you like, but I said it anyway. Um, and I'm just going to move on to a little bit of personal news. This will explain a bit why I haven't yet podcasted. Um, I am actually starting a new job. Uh, and in two weeks on the 27th and as of that date i will be working for minnesota public radio and american public media and for those of you who know me really well should know that that is an extremely exciting placement for me um i have always been a big advocate of public radio i'm an avid listener uh, a lot of different public radio shows have inspired this podcast, have made me want to get my voice out there in this way. Um, and in addition to that, I just kind of like technology around audio. Um, I've always been kind of a closet audiophile, although I, you know, I don't really tend to sink enough money into it to probably be called a proper audiophile. But um, I, I've just always loved radio i've loved um you know public speaking and that kind of combination of things to know that i would be working towards producing that is really exciting um on a non-technical level working for npr is really exciting because i find it to be a very socially forward organization it does a lot of good in this community um i think that uh, american public media has produced some really great content and syndicated a ton of really amazing content. For those who don't know, um, anytime you hear BBC America or BBC radio here in America, it's done with a license from American public media. It wouldn't be allowed out here without the deal that American public media struck. So that's actually an interesting thing. They've also, of course, brought us Prairie Home Companion. They bring us Marketplace um, and then here in Minnesota, they've also set up the three stations. We actually have three public media stations, a news, um, an indie rock station, which is actually really good, and a classical station. 
and they run all three of those. Um, and then, of course, they syndicate media from other um, producers. So, like PRI, uh, Public Radio International, does shows like The World. I think, I'm trying to think uh, if Radio Lab, I think, is a PRI production. Um, this American Life, I think, is either Public Radio International or NPR. That's N as in national, not M as in Minnesota, uh, which is actually a different organization. Um, so despite the fact that NPR's competitors produce all of this amazing content, they still syndicate it and bring it to the public. Uh, and I think that that's a great service that they do. In addition to that, I think that NPR brings a lot of great quality news to the public. Um, I know that I listen to NPR before the day starts, every day, either in my car or uh, live streaming from my computer at work, and I'm much more informed because of it. And I'm a firm believer that an informed public is one of the key factors that determines whether or not a democracy is going to succeed or fail. Uh, because of that, I think NPR is a critical facet of that, um, and they produce really high-quality news on top of it. So if you can't tell, I'm jazzed to be a part of that organization, and I have had to sit on that for a few months now as I, A, got the details worked out of it and did all the interviewing and all that kind of stuff, and B, it was announced to my current workplace um, that I would be leaving. Uh, and that said, you know, um, the workplace that I'm going to be leaving, which is Blue Book Publications, has provided me a great amount of experience so far. Like, I've I've learned a lot from working at Blue Book. I learned a lot about smaller businesses, smaller shops, um, really challenged myself in a lot of ways because this job has had a lot more limited resources than anywhere else that I've had to work. And you never really know what you can do until you have to do something with nothing. So I'm very appreciative of the time that I've spent there. But despite that, I'm extremely excited to move to this very, very great new opportunity. Um, so that's some of the reason that you haven't heard from me. A lot of my spare time has been working on resumes and uh, other ideas <laughs> to try and a, getting my foot in the door of that organization and also, you know, make certain that my career is moving forward the way that I want it to move forward. In addition to all that, um, I've had a very eventful set of holidays. Um, to begin with, you may have heard the dedication at the beginning of this episode. My grandmother died just before Christmas this year, which is a huge loss. And just to share a little bit about why... Um, to me, my grandmother kind of was the embodiment of what Christmas ought to be. Um, and she was a very religious woman. We would always pray during the Christmas dinners and whatnot. And people who know me know that I don't really see Christmas in a spiritual light very much. Um, but what I do see it as is a time to get together with family members and friends and sort of remember that every one of us is here for each other. That despite the fact that we're going through this coldest and darkest part of the year, uh, and sometimes the hardest times, we have this huge support network of friends and family 
who, despite the fact that some of them we never see except this time around, they're out there and they think about us, and we think about them. And Grandma sort of embodied that by having this massive and wonderful party for Christmas every year. Um, and, and just to describe the party there, it's in this old farmhouse, uh, and it's a split level. There's tons of room, but despite that, there's just hardly any room to pack everybody in because there were so many people from a distant, you know, distant branches of the family, people I hardly ever saw. Um, there were easily like 40 people in this house at a time. And as much, as many people as there were there, there was still way more food than any of us could possibly hope to finish if we all work together on it um wonderful starchy you know home healthy dishes for like you know the 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 kind of comfort food that you expect for that time of year things like uh noodles and mashed potatoes and turkey and ham and stuffing and cranberry sauce and you know corn and all these different fixins and then there was an entire table dedicated to all the desserts and man i can't even go over all that and grandma made this meticulous meal she made this beautiful house and she decorated it and when i say she decorated it you might get an idea in your mind whatever you get in your mind double and then double that uh she we used to joke about the snowmen in the house because at one point for Christmas, she asked for snowmen because she started collecting them, primarily to decorate this house. This is not a small house. Everywhere you looked smacked of Christmas. There was Christmas everywhere. Everything was red and green. Everything was snowmen or Santa. Everything, you know, as far down as the eyes can see. And what was amazing about it is even if you picked a spot that you saw where somebody, or well, not somebody, where Grandma had placed... A decoration. Usually that decoration had decorations around it or accenting it. So the harder you looked, the more levels of Christmas you found. It was it was snowmen all the way down. And it was so much so that one year, you know, she was opening her Christmas gifts uh, like we all do there. And she had yet another snowman thing that somebody had gotten her. And she actually had said to the rest of us, please, no more snowmen. <laughs> But the other thing that Grandma did, you know, on top of, you know, decorating this gorgeous place and creating these amazing meals, she was the most amazing hostess you could ever hope to have, particularly for a family gathering. Because it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter if the last time she saw you or talked to you was 10 years ago. And it didn't matter if there were 50 or 60 people in line to talk to Grandma. Somehow, the way that she would talk to you and the way that she would interact with you made you feel like you were the most important person in the world. I felt like a great-grandson because Grandma made me feel like a great-grandson. Um, not great as in, you know, a degree of separation. Great as in, you know... A level of respected. And I've spoken with other members of the family, and they all agree. This is just a gift that she gave to everybody, was this unconditional love and caring. 
Um, and it's the Christmas gift that she taught all of us. She taught all of us how to be that, how to, how to kind of carry that along and remember that during this time of year is a time for unconditional love. And that, that's, that's a big deal. Um, cause that's an example that I'm going to try and live up to for every holiday, you know, from here on out in her honor, because I think that it is important. And I think that she did teach us a good lesson there. And so this year was really hard um, because not only did I lose grandma and did we lose that gathering and that decorations and all of the stuff that she did and all of the stuff that she shared with us, it's just not being able to share all that with grandma was really tough. And I got to thinking about it a little bit. I was listening, ironically, to NPR and they were interviewing um, this musician whose name escapes me, but she referenced uh, Joni Mitchell's, I think it's Joni Mitchell, who sang Coming on Christmas. And that's the rather melancholy Christmas song where she says, you know, it's coming on Christmas, people are putting up trees, and she lists off all of these things that, you know, happy people do during Christmas. And then the refrain was always, I wish I had a river that I could skate away on. And it, the person who was talking about this song said, you know, when you're an adult, Christmas takes on kind of a different form. It's sort of a time where you could fall into this trap of remembering how happy and magical it used to be and how it's not now and how you can kind of get stuck and mired in this idea, you know, of your own adulthood kind of interfering with the holiday and it's a very sad time for some people. Like, if you're alone, it's a very sad time. Or if, you know, you can't be with those people that are the most important to you, it's a very sad time. And it's easy to get cynical. It's easy to make fun of all the Christmas specials and all of the, you know, turning people from Scrooges into people who truly believe in the season and all of that sort of stuff. But I think it's important that we fight against it. And it's something that, again, it's hard to do. And I, I'm going to have to make a really hard effort to do without my grandma. Because my grandma had this capability of making making you feel like the holiday was still magical. Despite the fact that, you know, you're a full-grown adult and you don't believe in magic necessarily and santa claus is a long you know debunked myth she still had this way of making you feel you know anything's possible this day and i think it's something that we all should strive to try and hold on to you know if you celebrate this holiday especially if you celebrate it in the way that i do which is again, this sort of coming together to comfort each other in the darkest time of the year. So I'm going to miss my grandma a whole lot, uh, and this Christmas was tricky. But that said, I think Adrian and I and my folks and my brothers and sisters made the best of it. Um, I came down a week early to deal with all the, you know, to deal with the funeral and all that sort of stuff. But once we got past that, Adrian came in on um, 
I think it was the 23rd or maybe the 22nd. I don't remember the exact date. But that night, we had people over um, at my folks' place for Christmas. And something to understand about that is it's been years since all of my siblings have been together at my parents' place. It's been years since I even remember using the extra plates that we had to use because there weren't enough for the amount of people that were in the house. And I didn't know that we would get everybody together on the same day because it's a tricky thing to plan from far away. And it's also a tricky thing because the only way to do it is to impose on my folks because it's their space. I'm really invading their space, but... Um, yeah, my sister Angie was there, my brother Denny was there, my nephew Bradley and his wife and his kids were there, and my niece Kirsty and her boyfriend were there. And then, of course, Adrian and I made this meal with enough ham to feed the Swiss Army. I think my folks are still probably carving the ham to this day. Um, but it really did feel like... The holidays that I remember only vaguely because I was very, very young. And that was an exciting and magical moment for me, that we could create that kind of atmosphere. Um, and then there was a little bit of trepidation, as my sister said, now it's on you to do this every year. You know? <laughs> but as as stressful as it was to do all of it, I would gladly do it again. I would gladly do it again to see all of them and to see everybody together and talking and happy and, you know, sort of relaying the news of the year, but remembering that we're all together to to stay together and to be together as a family. So it was a rough Christmas, but despite that, I think that we made the best of it. And another shout out to Adrian. I could not have handled that without her she helped me a lot um you know both in telling me that it was going to be okay you know whenever something would go wrong in the kitchen she would always say you know it's not a big deal we've got plenty of food you know she kept me calm and kept me sane and helped me um organize everybody and i just i just couldn't have done it without her so that was christmas part one believe it or not uh, Christmas part two, we came back here Christmas Day and had um, a holiday with uh, Adrian's grandparents and the rest of her family at her grandparents' place. They do something interesting that I've never seen before. They do a um, gift exchange. Of course, you know, if, if you want to give a gift directly to somebody because they're a closer relative, you know, that's that's by no means barred. And, you know, we exchanged with her dad while we were there. But everybody brings a gift, and there's a price range that you set, and they all got set into the center, and then they play this dice game where whoever gets, you know, doubles in in each roll, if you get doubles, you get to pick a gift, and they play until everybody has a gift, and then they roll for, you know, maybe five or six minutes, and if you get doubles, you can swap a gift with somebody. And it just was a really fun kind of exciting, teasing, gathering game. And I, I was just really impressed with it because it's tricky in those big gatherings because you kind of want to give a gift to everybody and you can't. This was a neat way to sort of take that pressure off, for one thing. 
and have a lot of fun with the season. Like you, there are a lot of really interesting things in the mix and you get to, you know, compete with your family members to try and get the gift and, you know, joke with each other about what you got and what you didn't. And it was just, it was just really neat. Um, and then there was the snowmobile. So I have never ridden a snowmobile before and I didn't drive one for anybody who's worried about that. But um, one of Adrian's relatives had just recently gotten one for Christmas and I was offered a ride. And I said, sure, I'd go for a ride. And I enjoyed it thoroughly um, until the snowmobile crashed. So to to explain that in greater detail, um, they took me out into the field and we had a lot of fun there. And we were doing a really good job because with a snowmobile you have to lean into turns or the snowmobile will throw you. And we didn't have any trouble with any of the turns. We went out on the lake and didn't have any trouble there. And then he came back to the house and he was trying to drive up to the garage and he and I both forgot that there's about a three foot high concrete wall surrounding um, Adrian's grandpa's garden. And so we're going at a fairly fast speed, I would say probably at maybe a 35 to 45, not 45 degree angle, but... um, you know, about half of that. And we hit that wall and just dead stop. And we couldn't see it because there was snow covering it. And when we dead stopped, I flew over the side uh, and banged my leg really hard against the wall. So I'm a little gun shy now about snowmobiles, I think, Um, which isn't fair to them or to, you know, anybody involved. I don't think anybody could have seen that wall and many of us forgot it. But uh, hobbled, I hobbled myself inside, and it was funny because Adrian was like, oh, I think that you're fine, that looks okay, and then I pulled my leg, my pant leg up a little further, and she goes, oh, I thought that was your knee. And I was like, no, that's, that's the bruise. <laughs> um, so I've had a, an injured leg from Christmas, so that added to the stories of the year. And then shortly after Christmas, um, just a few days trying to think we also had christmas eve and went to midnight mass i forgot to mention that um with adrian's mom uh and her brothers and that was a lot of fun um we just had a really good time we all sat around we watched some of the old classic movies um in this case i think it was the little drummer boy um and we listened to the muppets and john denver which i think was actually mentioned in uh, rancor's brothel so, yeah, guys, the the Muppets sing Christmas with John Denver. I was given that CD for Christmas, so yay to that. Um, but we just had a good time, and then we went to Midnight Mass, and uh, then the next day the snowmobile thing happened. Um, but shortly after Christmas, uh, Adrian and I had talked to her dad at the gathering, and he said that he had picked up her birthday gift remember her birthday is january 13th so it was really close she had jokingly asked for a dog kennel because adrian and i have sort of been thinking about getting a dog and he picked up one that will handle um you know a breed up to 100 pounds so she was looking on craigslist and she saw 
some puppies uh, out in rural Wisconsin, and we just drove out and picked up one. So anybody who knows me, just ask, and I'll send you a picture of Valjean, our new uh, puppy. He's only seven weeks old at this point, and he's he's an interesting mix. The dad is a purebred Great Pyrenees, so big fluffy dog. Um, And the mom is a mixture of Australian Shepherd, Border Collie, and Blue Heeler. Um, so he's looking like he's going to be fluffy like his dad, uh, but he's, he has kind of a border collie style mask on his face and he's of course just adorable. So we have a new family member in the house and he has been running us ragged, which is another reason that I haven't really had time for a podcast because since we've gotten the dog, it seems like, uh, I just carry paper towels with me and follow him around. We should have named him Puddles, but he is a great dog he's very smart he's already picked up on a lot of things and uh he's gonna be big though so we'll keep you posted on uh that as valjean grows but uh if you guys know us let it let me know and i'll send you a picture if you want to see what he looks like or you can just come over he's he loves company and he loves people so um that's really about all i had for personal news um, I want to talk a little bit about a couple of video games because uh, Adrian bought me Assassin's Creed 4 for uh, Christmas and that was a turn of events that I hadn't expected. I love the Assassin's Creed series. I think that it's an extremely clever game set up and I've talked about it on this podcast before. But 3, which I got last year, has actually been the weakest in the series and a very big disappointment for me um i felt like they squandered a lot of potential with the characters the characters could have been very interesting and they were written extremely two-dimensionally uh a lot of the missions were very repetitive the uh basic mechanic of free running is broken which i don't necessarily blame them for because the setting that they picked is colonial america Colonial America, if you are used to running rooftop to rooftop to dodge a guard, you're not going to really have that option. Um, They made up for it a little bit with being able to do what they jokingly called tree running. You could actually run up through trees and jump from branch to branch, but it's not the same and it wasn't as enjoyable as the other sets in the series. So far, uh, Assassin's Creed 4 has been... A complete 180 from 3. It brings back a lot of the things that I love about the series. Uh, in addition to one of the few things that was highly praised from the third uh, in the series, which is the naval battle aspect. Assassin's Creed 4, the main character, is a pirate. And I haven't quite gotten to the naval aspect of that yet. I'm still... I'm being kind of completionist with it, so I'm trying to get all kinds of different stuff before I get my actual ship. But it has been complimented very highly for that aspect of the game. And it was something that I enjoyed a lot in the third one, because they actually introduced naval combat in the third game as well. So, Assassin's Creed 4, I can't fully review yet, but I can tell you what I've played of it so far has been refreshing and... 
makes me feel a lot better about the series after what I think was a very weak entry. So if anybody gave up on Assassin's Creed after 3, don't. Um, You don't have to finish 3. You can go on YouTube and see how it ends and then pick up 4. And 4 is also interesting because I don't know what they're going to do plot-wise. So we'll see where that comes around. The other video game I wanted to talk about, I wanted to go a little retro on you and do something kind of funny. Um, I was going through my folks' place looking for Christmas decorations when we were setting it up, and I found my old Super Nintendo and a couple of my old games that I didn't find the first time I moved, Uh, one of which was Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. Now, this was a game I was really excited to get for Christmas one year, and that's because I'm a huge Final Fantasy fan. I had played Final Fantasy II um, nearly all the way through, it was the first game where, and Matt Matt pointed this out, so I will I will bow to his memory of my childhood. Um, it was the first game where I had actually felt real emotion for the characters. Uh, Final Fantasy three, and again this this is the American numbering, which they've later corrected. So for anybody who only knows the later numberings of the games, these are actually four and six. But Final Fantasy three or six ended up being both Matt and my. If one of our favorite games of all time. It doesn't quite top Chrono Trigger for me, but it's up there. Um, and Final Fantasy Mystic Quest was supposed to be this new entry into the series, at least according to Nintendo Power Magazine. I picked it up, and the first thing that I noticed about it is the graphics were dumbed way down. Very pastel, um, very simple color scheme, um, and all the monsters were kind of drawn, I'll just say, without any imagination or passion. And that was an interesting start to what later became infamously known as, you know, the play school, my first role-playing game. Mystic Quest was released to America as sort of a an apology by Squaresoft, the makers of Final Fantasy, because they didn't release Final Fantasy V here. And the reason they didn't release Final Fantasy V here was because they felt that Americans wouldn't be smart enough to get their RPGs. So they gave us the simplest role-playing game you could possibly get and still be at least somewhat of a role-playing game. So... The game consists of getting the saving these four quadrants of the world, and they're literally divided into quadrants. The game doesn't let you free roam around the map. There are predefined paths, because otherwise you might get lost, apparently. Um, you can't even begin to explore the next level until you've beaten the previous one. And the final enemy is this very unexplained entity called the Dark King. We don't know why the Dark King is evil, we just know that he is evil, the embodiment of evil. And he was going to destroy the world, yes, the world that he lives in, but there's no explanation as to why. He's just evil, and we just have to run with that. This game was actually jokingly called RPG of the Year by... Game Informer magazine, I think? I'd have to look up which magazine jokingly referred to it as the 
like game of the year. I think it was as an April Fool's Day joke because it is so bad and so derivative of everything else that Squaresoft has done that it became a joke within the industry. And I found my copy of Mystic Quest. And I will say this. Despite the fact that it is a terrible game, and that I knew it was a terrible game when I played it as a kid, there's still a special place in my heart for this game. I still enjoyed it. And I think it's just because I like this style of game. But it is dreadful. It is not something you could get into now. And it's something I don't think I could possibly enjoy if it wasn't something that I grew up with. So, those are the video games I'll talk about this time. Assassin's Creed redeeming itself and Final Fantasy shooting itself in the foot in the United States until eventually they came out with Final Fantasy 3 or 6 and, of course, Final Fantasy 7, which, you know, blew the doors off everything. So, um... seen a ton of movies this time around just a ton so it's going to be hard to discuss them um one that i was prepared not to like uh and i was prepared not to like it because it features two people i just generally don't find as funny as the rest of the world seems to find them and that's billy crystal and bet midler and they were both in a movie called parental guidance Parental Guidance was about these, um, this older couple, their grandparents, but they're kind of the other grandparents, and their children and their grandchildren think of them as kind of not capable of handling the responsibility of being a grandparent. And it's about them redeeming themselves, particularly after Billy Crystal, who's the grandpa loses his job and has to kind of regain his confidence in a lot of ways. And despite the fact that I walked into the film thinking this isn't going to be very good and it has two people in it that I just don't think are that funny, I laughed hysterically. I felt like it was an extremely funny film. And on top of that, I felt that it had a lot of really good lessons in it. So I'm going to go ahead and recommend it. Like if you haven't seen Parental Guidance or if you haven't heard of it, you should go out and take a look at it. It actually turned out to be a very good film. Um, one that Adrian and I just sort of stumbled upon. One night we were... Uh, I'm not sure where we were. We were out of town for some reason. And we decided to go see a film. And it was this film that neither of us had heard of, but we went on Rotten Tomatoes and noticed that it had somewhere along the lines of an 80 to 90% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which isn't is not common for anybody who knows that site. That's just not a common rating. Um, We saw Prisoners. Now, Prisoners is about um, abducted children, basically. But it has a very Silence of the Lambs feel to it. It's Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal, and they both do an excellent job with their roles. And for a suspense film, which I worried would be since people had compared it to Silence of the Lambs, I worried that it would be kind of a carbon copy of it. It explored some really interesting and really dark uh, territory for um, that kind of film. And I agree with the critics that it is kind of Silence of the Lamb-ish 
in where it's willing to go, not necessarily in the plot line being directly drawn from. So if you haven't seen Prisoners and you like that kind of suspenseful film, I definitely recommend it. It was probably the best movie we've seen in a while. Um, and then the other two that I'll talk about, we had a day at the theater like none other as far as geeks go. Um, we went in the morning to see Catching Fire, and uh, I really enjoyed the portrayal of Catching Fire. I thought that it was very true to the book. It was entertaining. All the actors did an amazing job with it. And in a way, I kind of wished that I hadn't read the book because it made me read some of the characters a little bit differently. There was a tension there that I think the book actually failed to convey. Uh, and the movie conveyed very, very, very well. So if you haven't seen it, um, or read it, go see and read uh, Catching Fire and the rest of the Hunger Games trilogy. Of course, I think that if you've read it, you probably went to see it because the book was amazing and uh, the movie holds up to it. But we stayed in the mall after seeing Catching Fire and saw the 50th anniversary Doctor Who special in 3D um, that afternoon. And that was an event. It was a very exciting thing to be able to sit in an audience full of people who all share this idea that they love this show, that this show has this amazing history. Um, to see all the costumes, of course, in a Doctor Who kind of thing, there's going to be a lot of Doctor costumes, a lot of TARDIS costumes, a lot of Dalek costumes, um, and a lot of sonic screwdrivers. Man, were there a lot of sonic screwdrivers in that audience. But the show itself was really amazing. I I worry with Moffat sometimes because he likes to tie his plots into crazy little knots. I think he did a really good job tying this series off and also just tying together all of the different aspects of the show. Um, in addition to pushing the show forward, the 50th anniversary special really took what Russell T. Davies started as a change in the Doctor's status. So I can speak to that without giving away too many spoilers. And I'm, I'm probably going to speak spoilery about the 50th. The 50th was a while ago, so sorry guys. Go ahead and skip to the end if you uh, haven't seen either the 50th or the Christmas special this year of the Doctor of, of Doctor Who. But, um, you know, Russell T. Davies started by rebooting the Doctor and driving him forward with this impetus of being the last Time Lord. And not only of being the last Time Lord, but of being the Time Lord that ended the war and committed double genocide in order to do it. The 50th anniversary special really kind of ties that storyline to a close by saying he may have saved Gallifrey, and his new goal in life is to try and find it, to try and get it back. Um, which led really interestingly into the Christmas special, which for those of us who knew about The Doctor knew that this was Matt Smith's last episode of The Doctor. Because Gallifrey spoke to him in this episode and asked him to come back into this world, knowing very well 
as he did, that if they did in this spot and in this time, they would risk destroying everything. They would risk an all-out time war starting over. So he refrained from giving them the ability to come back into this world. And what I really liked about the end of it um, was the fact that, you know, he's out of regenerations. He almost died of old age this time. And when he dies this time, it's going to be the last death. And the Time Lords come to his aid, despite the fact that he wouldn't let them through. To some degree, they must have understood that if they came back at this point and at this time, they would cause horrible destruction. And they trusted the doctor at this point enough to help them with that, to give him a completely new regeneration cycle. I'll just talk for a minute about Capaldi, um, who, of course, we haven't seen much of yet. I think he's had all of maybe maybe 10 words worth of lines. But I think he's going to be amazing. I think we need an older doctor. We've had two younger, kind of sillier doctors. Um, and three that are young enough to be kind of heartthrobby. And while I, I have no... I have no qualm with people saying, you know, the doctor is a seductive personality, which I do think he is. He takes people away in his spaceship and makes a lot of sense that you would be drawn into that. Um, it'll be nice to see a doctor that's more fatherly as opposed to a kind of romantic interest for everyone. And on top of that, Moffat has said a couple of things about the new series that I'm really excited to hear about. Uh, one is that this Doctor will be a lot more fierce. So he said that Capaldi's Doctor is an old beast with a mighty snarl, which I think will be interesting to see. Um, the other thing that he said about this new series, which I'm very intrigued to see what he does with it, is that it's going to be a lot more raw than the Matt Smith era. And the way he put it um, in his interview was, you know, you get used to doing an episode and it becomes this thing where it's really slick. Like, I know how to do Doctor Who. And he says, once you get to that point, you have to start to realize you're not challenging yourself enough. And it's one of the complaints that I have about the Matt Smith and Moffat era Doctor is that it is very airtight and slick and feels very well put together when one of the things I loved about the Russell T Davies era was it was raw and messy and sometimes kind of a rough cut, but that added to its charm. And it sounds like Moffat has sort of seen that that's, that's something the doctor needs once in a while and he's going to bring it to the next series. So I'm very excited to see where he goes with it. Uh, the last bit of media I'll talk about is uh, books I just finished uh, Wizard in Glass. For those of you who are following my Dark Tower series, that's the fourth one. And I have started uh, The Wind Through the Keyhole. I really enjoyed Wizard in Glass. Um, I thought it was... The way it drove the story forward was... very intriguing. And um, I think it did a really good job of drawing you into the characters and sort of explaining why Roland is the way that Roland is. Uh, that said, it's still Stephen King. It took me forever to finish this book. 
just because I have a hard time reading him because of the way that he writes. And it's not that I don't think his stories are good or that I think his, even his writing is bad. It's just something about the way he writes and the way it works with my brain. I just have a lot of troubles with it. The other thing I'll say about this series, and I've I've noted it with a couple of other people who agree, is the books all feel like they are very well connected. All of the Midworld Dark Tower books feel like they are the same story being told over a series of chapters. But what I find really intriguing about them from a feeling and device standpoint is every time I start a new book in the Dark Tower series, it feels like a completely different world. Somehow, these books that are all in the same world and don't necessarily feel like they're not in the same world also feel so very distinct from each other. They are very different novels, each and every one of them. And I'm really enjoying that. Um, And The Wind Through the Keyhole so far has been, again, just a very different story, not just a continuation of the same story. Um, But it also continues the same story as well. So I'll keep you guys posted on how much I read into that. And, you know, I'm sure anybody who's a Dark Tower fan, a lot of the stuff that I say, they're like, no, you're getting it wrong. And I'm I'm sure that I am. Keep in mind that I'm only on like the 4.5 book. So I'll let you guys know when I get to, you know, 5, 6, 7, etc. So I think that's probably about all the time that I've got. I've taken up about an hour here. Um have an easier quotation for you this time since you guys let me down you didn't get the quotation last time and i'm sure i know at least one of my friends should be able to get this if he's listening to the podcast because i know that he references it pretty frequently so um if he doesn't i'll do a a a shout out of shame on the next podcast but Let me know if you know what character and in what movie this quotation is from. Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate up hill. If you know the answer to that, you can tweet it at me at badbraincurio, or you can email me at bbcs at aaronmbond.com. I think that's about it for me, guys. Have a good week, and I will see you next time. Intro and outro music provided by Latchy Swing. Hear more of their music at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash L-A-T-C-H underscore swing. This podcast was recorded, produced, and distributed using open source technologies. The Bad Brain Curio Shop podcast is copyrighted 2014 and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. For more information, visit creativecommons.org.